This is the Horse Radio Network. Hello, and welcome to the Sport Horse Podcast. I'm Nicole Lakin. And I'm Tim Warden. And we have another fantastic guest to chat with today. Today's guest, Dr. Arno Werners, is going to talk to us a bit about NSAIDs, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. I'm so excited to share this conversation with you because I was just immediately blown away by how much I learned. He's going to give you a sense of how NSAIDs actually work um, and because of how they work, um, you know, where they're beneficial and, and where they can be harmful. It's an amazing episode, so uh, we just can't wait for you guys to to hear it. And this is the start of a series that we're bringing bringing you on NSAIDs. We're going to follow up this episode with some new perspectives as well on NSAIDs, as it is um, an area of discussion that has some you know differing points of view. And we want to make sure that we give you a really well rounded understanding of the science and practice of using NSAIDs. So Dr. Werners obtained his Doctor of Veterinary Medicine degree in 1999 and his PhD in 2005, which studied the molecular mechanisms and therapeutic interventions of equine endotoxinemia. Arno worked as a lecturer, completed his residency in veterinary pharmacology and toxicology, and had clinical responsibilities while at Utrecht University. Arno then accepted a position at the University of Cambridge in 2010 before moving to St. George's in Grenada to head the pharmacology section at the School of Veterinary Medicine. Hi, Arno, and welcome to the Sport Horse Podcast. Hi, Tim. Thanks for the invite. Nice to be here. So I, I know we have a lot that we want to ask you today, so we'll just dive right in. Um, the first question we had is a, a very big one and you know, kind of a bit general, but can you elaborate on inflammation? So it's a, it's a normal process that occurs in healthy horses. So why are anti-inflammatory substances needed? Yeah, that's a great question to, to start the discussion of, Tim. Well, so you're completely right that um, inflammation is a normal repair process, and it does help in restoring normal physiology or homeostasis. And it also means that the answer to the question is not straightforward, and it does require a little bit of explanation of, of the inflammatory response as it is. So basically, when your horse is injured, um, the damaged tissue um, releases a variety of different types of chemicals into the surrounding and into the bloodstream. And um, some of these chemicals will cause inflammation and others will help to, uh, to cure infection by attracting white blood cells into, um, um, into the area. In general, the inflammatory uh, reaction is extremely complex um, and it's an interplay between a wide variety of chemicals that um, are released, um, as I just said. And what it means is that um, there are chemicals that will help in the restoration and will drive the inflammatory response. But there are others that, that at the same time try to dampen it as much as possible so that it doesn't get out of hand. All these mediators have a hierarchical relationship with each other. And that means that some of them are more important and more important as a driving factor of that inflammatory reaction than others are. And basically inflammation is 
as five hallmarks that you can see as an, as an owner or as a trainer. It's pain, swelling, redness, heat, and loss of function. Um, and it goes for infections as well as injuries. So the main driving force of those five clinical signs are a group of chemicals that are called prostaglandins. Um, similar to all the other chemicals, some of them will drive the inflammation and others will help to, um, to make sure that it doesn't uh, get out of hand. So um, what we also know is that these prostaglandins are responsible, partly at least, um, for the pain response that you see when, you, uh, when there's an injury or an inflammation. Um, and what we also know is that, particularly for injury, the pain that goes with that injury prevents the horse from um, further damaging that particular tissue. Um, at the same time, we also know that prolonged pain uh, leads to stress and that stress response stops the repair process or at least prolongs the repair process quite considerably. Well, these prostaglandins are uh, low on the hierarchical pyramid. So that means that um, uh, they are important, obviously, because they are responsible for all those clinical signs. Uh, but at the same time, when we inhibit that part of the inflammatory response, we don't necessarily cut out all of the beneficial mediators that are uh, produced during an inflammatory response. But what we mainly do is, is target um, those typical clinical signs, pain, swelling, redness, heat, and loss of function. And we aid in um, taking away some of the pain that that animal has at that particular point in time. So we're basically inhibiting a part of the inflammatory response that because we inhibit it will help in the restoration of uh, the normal function of the animal. Well, that's such a helpful way to understand, um, you know, what the body's trying to do when it, when it says, you know, owie, <laughs> here's something, something that's not supposed to be happening is happening here. Um, it's a really great way to think about it. So from a pharmaceutical perspective, I know that there are two classes of drugs that we commonly use to treat inflammation, and those would be steroids and then non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs or NSAIDs, which we're focusing on for the purpose of today's episode and the series that we're creating about NSAIDs. Uh, so can you tell us what NSAIDs are and how they work? Uh, I guess both, I guess primarily in horses, if that's different from how they work in, in humans and other species. Yeah, thanks for that question, Nicole. Um, so NSAID stands for non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, and uh, we use them to treat inflammation, um, and we use to treat them to, to we use them to treat pain, um, pain relief for osteoarthritis, but also things like colic. Um, any kind of soft tissue injury, but also fever. So um, NSAIDs are a, a very diverse group of drugs um, commonly used in all species for this particular purpose. Um, common NSAIDs for human use, and I'm, I'm quite sure that we are all uh, quite aware of those, Advil, Tylenol, and Aleve. Um, and some of these drugs we can use quite well in horses too. 
but when you talk about NZs in horses, I think that the two most common ones will be um, phenobutazone or but and uh, flunixin megalamine or banamine. Um, and obviously there are more on the market, um, but these are the ones that I think most of the audience will be most familiar with. So how do they work? Well, what they do is they um, inhibit an enzyme and that enzyme is a protein that converts a particular chemical into another chemical. Basically what that enzyme does is it generates prostaglandins. The enzyme, enzyme is called cyclooxygenase or COX for short. And there are, well, two or three, nobody really knows, um, um, different forms of that enzyme. So there's a cyclooxygenase one and a cyclooxygenase two. Uh, COX-1 or COX-2. And I'm going to generalize a little bit here and say that COX-1 mainly protects the stomach lining from harsh acids and digestive chemicals and also secures the blood flow uh, through the stomach and your gastrointestinal tract. Uh, but it also secures the blood flow through the kidney. And in doing so, it maintains the integrity and the function of the kidney, but also of the gastrointestinal tract. The other enzyme called COX-2 is a largely inducible enzyme. And what that means is that the body starts to produce more of those enzymes when there is an infection or an inflammation. And that means that um, COX-1 mainly regulates the physiological role of prostaglandins and COX-2 mainly regulates the production of uh, the prostaglandins that are responsible for the clinical signs of infection or inflammation. And then when we dive a little bit deeper into uh, the NSAIDs and when we try to divide them up a little bit, um, then there is a, a reasonable proportion that uh, mainly blocks COX-1. Um, there are a smaller group that uh, are preferential for COX-2. What does that mean? Well, that means that they block a little bit of COX-1, a little bit of COX-2, but the majority of their um, um, effects are from inhibition of COX-2. And then we've got the really specific COX-2 inhibitors like uh, Phyrocoxib um, that specifically 99% blocks COX-2 and not COX-1. And that will become a little bit more uh, important when we talk about adverse effects a little bit later on, I think. Perfect. This is, this is fascinating. I'm, I'm really impressed how well you're able to, uh, to explain. This is such a, a complex topic. This is, this is great. Um, so, so now like if, if we're in a situation where uh, an NSAID has been given like butyrbanamine, for example, what are the effects both the positive and the negative that it will have on the horse? Well, I think that the positive effects are, are obvious, right? So they're, they're anti-inflammatory, so they inhibit the inflammatory response um, and, um, and reduce pain. Um, and that means that you improve the horse's welfare when there is inflammation or infection. Um, so I think that, that that's um, most important on the positive side. Uh, but obviously, and similar to all drugs that we use, whether, whether it's us uh, humans or in our animals, um, all drugs have adverse effects. 
and the NSAIDs also have adverse effects. So back to the role, the physiological role of, um, um, of prostaglandins in the body um, and the COX-1, COX-2 difference in, in, in what they do. Um, basically, we talked a little bit about the GI tract and, and the kidney, and that means that uh, the main adverse effects are adverse effects on your gastrointestinal tract, and it goes from the mouth all the way to, um, to the large colon, um, and um, a little bit less likely than, um, for example, in dogs. Uh, there might also be kidney damage if you uh, if you use them for a prolonged period of time in high doses. So those are the two organ systems that are most commonly um, affected by sort of the adverse effects of the NSAIDs. Uh, the G in the GI tract, it's ulceration, um, and it as I said, it starts at the mouth. So if you use really high concentrations of a banamine paste or of a butte paste, then after a couple of days, uh, you can see ulcerations on the uh, mucosa uh, in the mouth. And then it goes all the way down to esophagus, stomach, a little bit small intestine. And then interestingly enough, um, in the right part, the right dorsal part of the large colon as well. So the large colon is a very complex structure with, with hoops up and down and from left to right. Um, and it takes up most of the abdominal cavity or a large part of the abdominal cavity. And it's interesting that ulcerations there are, are quite difficult to diagnose. Um, why? Because you, a scope won't reach that far, an endoscope. Um, ultrasound is not that sensitive. So that means that sometimes it's quite difficult to figure out whether um, what the horse shows as clinical signs can be attributed to the NSAID adverse effects. So for a long time, we've thought that the COX-2 inhibitors didn't have any adverse effects or at least way less. Uh, but there's a recent um, research article that describes that yes, they also cause ulcerations in the stomach, but a particular part. So the stomach of the horse is, has two parts, let's say an upper and a lower part. Um, and one particular part is susceptible to ulcerations caused by COX-2 inhibitors. So that means that thyrocoxib can cause ulcerations in the stomach as well. Not as readily as uh, banamine or bute, uh, but there still is a chance that that causes adverse effects as well. So maybe uh, just briefly talk about what you see in the animal uh, in the case of adverse effects. It can range from inappetence, poor body condition, poor coat condition, um, weight loss to changes in behavior, poor performance, diarrhea, uh, and even colic. Not to scare people, but um, you know, the, if there's if there's poor performance, then that might be the cause. Uh, if there, you know, if the horse has difficulty getting through the winter coat, um, the part of that could be because of the use of NSAIDs. Um, horses with adverse effects on the kidney, because I haven't touched on that much, um, they most of the times drink more water um, and urinate more frequently um, as, as sort of, I would say, the first clinical signs that you see in, um, in those cases. That's all really interesting. And just a quick question. So 
Uh, in terms of like some of these adverse effects that start to appear in horses, like what, what, what would be the proportion that are, I guess, more permanent changes versus is it something where if you discontinue use right away, then all of this clears up in the next couple of days or weeks? Yeah, that, that's a great question, Tim. It, it depends a little bit on where, uh, where, what the extent of the ulcerations is. So there is evidence that when there's a significant ulceration in the esophagus, that the, the, the healing process leads to uh, formation of scar tissue. And that can then um, lead to strictures in the esophagus, but also in that uh, part of the large colon that we talked about. Most of the stomach ulcers can be treated, obviously, with all kinds of other drugs that we that we might be able to uh, to discuss in um, uh, later on in another podcast. But um, so there are there are definitely drugs that will work uh, quite well against the ulcerations in the stomach and in, in so the first part of the small intestines. If there is any, particularly in the in the right part of the large colon, it's really difficult to treat that. If you're early enough and if it's not extensive enough, then it will heal when you stop administering the drug. Um, but, you know, if it's, if it's more extensive, then uh, strictures can, be, can become an issue. That's really helpful. Um, I'm learning so much. I don't even know where to start. So in, in going back to some of the more commonly used NSAIDs, I think I'm starting to catch on um, that whether they're primarily a COX-1 inhibitor, a COX-2 inhibitor, or um, like you said, have you know an impact on both um, that makes different NSAIDs better suited to address different conditions. Do you have any advice? I know it's sort of a case by case basis, but broadly speaking, how to choose a specific type of NSAID over another. Um, I know, you know, I've always been taught, you know, if a horse is colicking, banamine is, is usually used, um, to make them more comfortable, but, uh, for, for other things, you know, some horses get butin, some get banamine and, and there's of course, you know, an endless list of additional NSAIDs. So could you give us a little bit of insight into choosing one NSAID for particular conditions? Yeah, that's a, that's a question that has bothered me ever since, <laughs> <laughs> you know, as soon as I graduated, that was, that was the question I was going to answer. Um, but unfortunately after, um, an X number of years, I'm still unable to answer that. There's no scientific evidence that one works better in a particular case than others. So um, I, I'm completely with you that orthopedic pain, butte. If you look at the science, then they've compared butte with ketoprofen. They've compared butte with farropoxib. No difference. Interesting. So they, they do the same thing pain-wise. Um, and, and I thought that that was really interesting. And at the same time, uh, they've also compared banamine with butte for colic. No difference. Oh, interesting. Although we all know and all con continue to give butte to uh, horses with orthopedic pain, and we give banamine as a first go-to drug for, for colic, there isn't real scientific evidence that, that it actually, banamine actually is better for soft tissues injuries and that um, um, a butte is better for, for orthopedic pain. And 
if you allow me a, a sort of a sidestep to um, to the world of dogs, where I know that some dogs um, um, respond really, really well to ketoprofen uh, or carprofen, um, and others respond really well to meloxicam. So we still haven't figured out whether it's a, another another. Um, ISO form of the enzyme or we don't know what it is uh, but it is what it is and we need to sort of deal with that um, you can find all kinds of explanations in the in the literature why certain veterinarians use certain drugs for certain types of disease and certain issues in animals in horses and I read through a lot of them and I, I think they're really interesting I'm happy to stay with banamine for colic uh, or soft tissue injuries, uh, soft tissue inflammation. Uh, I'm happy with, with butte for orthopedic pain. Um, and I think that the only distinction that is helpful to make is uh, the fact that the firococcip or equiox um, specifically targets COX-2 and, and because it specifically targets COX-2, it's less likely to cause adverse effects. So horses that are known to be um, a little bit sensitive on the GI tract, it might be better to use firococcid than anything else. I also realized that, you know, if this is going to be long-term treatment, then uh, the, the, um, uh, the costs associated with Butte versus Equiox um, are, are quite considerable um, and, and you still might sort of need to try and manage. But basically what it means is that it depends on the particular case and it depends uh, probably a little bit on, um, um, on the individual veterinarian who helps you with treatment uh, or who you consult with and, and one might choose one over the other. Um, I've used Meloxicam that's available in Europe um, and I think in Canada as well, um, quite a bit in colic horses, um, anecdotally, that has a little bit less of an effect compared to benamine. And when we talk to colic instead of, uh, when we talk about colic instead of orthopedic pain, um, then there are other things that come into play as well. And, and part of that is the repair of your GI tract, depending on what the issue is. But, you know, um, we might not want to get too technical. Uh, but that's that's the case where your veterinarian will decide, well, you know, for this particular case, I think it's better to use meloxicam or firococcid or, or benamine. But so back to where we started, um, uh, benamine for soft tissue and, and butte for, uh, for orthopedic pain works for me. Right. So well, hopefully we can link to uh, some of those readings you mentioned in the show notes. That, that would be really, really cool yeah. to check those out. Sure. One of the questions that uh, Nicole and I were really curious to hear your feedback on as well would be the dose and timing of NSAID administration after uh, an event and how that maybe impacts the effect that it may have. So once an issue is noticed, I think sometimes there, there could be a period of kind of watchful waiting to see if it resolves on its own versus maybe you uh, would prescribe an NSAID right away. And, and what would be the impact of those two strategies? Is it better to get on top of something right away before it turns into a runaway train? Or is there a certain time window where it's the golden hour, so to speak, to give NSAID? Yeah, uh, you come up with great questions. 
So I, I don't think that there's a golden hour uh, per se. It, it really depends on the severity of the injury. The more severe the injury is, the more pain that's associated with that initial injury. And that means that in those particular cases, you want to tr- try and treat as quickly as possible. And the reason for that is that um, uh, pain is a bit weird, but it, it sort of, there's a, there's a wind-up phase in pain where it becomes more and more and more severe and also where it becomes more and more difficult to treat. So that means that you might not get away with using NSAIDs, but you might have to use opioids or alpha-2 agonists, basically other pain medication. If it's not that bad, then I think there's value in, in waiting to see how it evolves. Um, and it doesn't mean that we're not treating, but we're just not treating with drugs. Um, you know, rest is really, really helpful. Um, hosing with, a, with, with, with water, cool, so cooling, I think, is, is really helpful as well. But I'd like to see an improvement relatively quickly after that. If I see swelling, even after hosing down, swelling that, that continues to be there, um, then that's for me could be a reason to, to start the horse on NSAIDs. Let's go back to so inflammation is, is a beneficial process. And it, it's really difficult to say, if you see this, then treat with NSAIDs. It's on an individual basis. The more severe, the more likely I would be to give NSAIDs. And I, I know that it's not a clear-cut answer. Um, unfortunately, you know, working with horses is um, it's never black and white. It's it's always gray and all kinds of shades of gray. Um, and and that means that that it really depends on uh, on the clinical signs that you see, particularly after an event. Um, it might look bad, uh, but if you hose it down and if you if you rest the animal, it might it might get better relatively quickly. And then why would you burden the animal with NZs? Because the body is usually capable of, of handling a lot of things um, on its own. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. And just, you know, to bring us back a little bit higher, you know, 20,000 20, foot view from the conversation, obviously there are other ways to treat inflammation other than NZs. So, um, you know, you mentioned cold hosing or ice rest, you know, there's you know, I know there's like different lasers and and other things that you can do to try and, um, help the body respond to inflammation on its own. So with that in mind, um, what are some of the contraindications for NSAIDs? I know we've talked a a bit about some of them, but just the ones that people should be, you know, most aware of when they're, you know, sort of making that evaluation of whether to go right off, off the bat and, and treat inflammation with an NSAID, um, versus maybe trying some other routes first. So particularly when it's just out of competition and, you know, we're in summer, that means that it's hot almost everywhere in the world these days. And it also means that horses, particularly when it's tough competition, are dehydrated when they come out of their competition. Um, That's a specific contraindication to start with NZ, particularly if it's not um, a veterinarian who administers or prescribes uh, the NZ. Why? Because that dehydration leads to changes in the blood flow to the GI tract and the kidneys. And because there are changes in the blood flow, that immediately affects 
um, or increases the adverse effects that NSAIDs have on those two body systems. So um, that means that that's a definite uh, contraindication. Um, and I, I know and I've seen it that, that veterinarians do treat animals when they're dehydrated with NSAIDs, but oftentimes that's not without at the same time giving that animal a lot of fluids. So you're rehydrating while you're giving the drug and they've, they've weighed out the negatives versus the positives in that particular case and decided to go ahead and give it in that dehydrated animals. So that's the first contraindication. The other contraindication has to do, contraindications basically uh, have to do with the adverse effect. So if there's no kidney damage, then you just need to be careful. If there's known sensitivity of the gastrointestinal tract, then you need to be careful. If the animal is off feet, uh, critically ill, uh, or pre-existing GI or kidney disease, then you also need to be careful. So um, as an owner or a trainer, by yourself, if you have a horse like that, I would consult with your vet first in those particular cases. No, that's that's really helpful information for for everyone. I think um, I, I think the question that a lot of people will be interested in it, it's it's one of those million dollar questions, I guess. And and I don't know if there's a, a straightforward answer, but uh, the FEI does not allow horses to compete using NSAIDs, but some national governing bodies will allow their usage. Um, so, given what has been published on NSAIDs to date in, in peer reviewed journals and, and sort of what our current understanding of the situation is, uh, can you put into context the FEI's rationale for uh, completely banning NSAIDs and how does this factor into maintaining health and wellness in sport horses? Yeah, that's a good one. Well, um, I, I can definitely say a couple of things. When you take this out of FEI and, and when you look at sports horses in general, in, including all the English disciplines and, and, and all the race, uh, uh, race horses, there's, there's quite a bit of evidence that says that treatment of NSAIDs and allowing animals to race leads to um, more musculoskeletal injuries during the race. So there's a difference between jurisdictions that allow NSAIDs and jurisdictions that don't allow NSAIDs with regards to the number of musculoskeletal injuries that they see. What do we know about the English disciplines? Nothing. Um, <laughs> nothing nothing's published. Um, and, I, and I guess that, um, you know, it, it, it's probably difficult to, to, um, to get that organized and to get that... Uh, sort it out and, and, and have an idea of, of what would happen when we would allow show jumpers and dressage horses to, to use NSAIDs. What we, do also, what we also do know is that they don't appear to enhance performance. Okay, so they're not performance enhancing drugs. Based on the results from the racetrack, what happens is that we do allow horses to run up to their potential by reducing pain and lameness. So the question is whether whether that's something that you that you want, right? So that animal might be in a little bit of pain um, and a little bit lame, 
and might have been picked out in in the uh, when the vets evaluate the horses before the uh, before competition, and now they're not, and and you let them perform. It also changes their physiology. Um, so there's increased heart rate, uh, increased lactate. In um, and so this is an experimental setting where horses were given uh, flunixin treatment, and it was a sub uh, maximum um, test for I think for thor for for trotters if I'm uh, if I'm correct. So there's the, you do change their physiology a little bit. So even with sub maximal exercise their heart rates and their production of lactate is higher. And I think that that's something that you would rather not want to happen. At the same time, no difference in stride length. So, uh, and again, no difference in performance. So, so, so basically, um, and I, I think it's, um, it's an ethical question uh, and I might not be the right person to, to specifically answer that. I, I would say, but that's my personal opinion based on a little bit of the evidence that I've that I've just um, shared with you. I would be really careful showing a horse, racing a horse, jumping a horse that has received NZs. Obviously, there's the risk that um, you get positive on the doping test, but at the same time, you might be masking subclinical lameness. Um, you are masking pain, and um, I think. Every horse owner and trainer should ask themselves whether whether they want to put the horse through that. Really fascinating. And I think a new way for me personally to sort of contextualize the impacts of NSAIDs prior to competition, um, whether you know that there's something specific that you're treating or not, especially I heard you mention lactate. We've had a couple episodes diving into lactate and heart rate and the impact on recovery after performance, after a difficult workout. So it's, it's really, I think that's something new <laughs> that I've learned just now um, about how NSAIDs can impact recovery um, in a negative way. Yeah. And I, I, I can probably expand a, just a little bit on, yeah. on, on this specifically. There are a number of papers out there that describe a um, no effect level. So what they've done is they've looked at uh, particular concentrations of the drug in the body and their effect on the enzyme and how much inhibition of the enzyme um, a particular concentration leads to. Um, and, and they've reached sort of cutoff levels that below a particular blood or urine concentration of the drug, the drug is not effective anymore. Um, and that is interesting because that means that you can still treat your horse because of an injury or, you know, because it was a little bit sore after, after a heavy training or, or a heavy competition. And when that horse is sound again, obviously it takes some time before all of the drug is out of the system. And, and what they've done is they've looked at, okay, so at this level in blood and urine, there's no effect whatsoever of the drug. So basically it means that it's safe to compete with that animal at that point in time. Oh, that's really interesting. Um, so pivoting a little bit from here, but another really important component of, of this conversation, can you talk a little bit about how NSAIDs are excreted and what 
the potential consequences of that can be on the environment? Yeah, I thought that was a really interesting question. And I had to dive into the literature a little bit uh, the past couple of days to, uh, obviously, NSAIDs are drugs that um, get quite easily into all kinds of tissues. Um, That means that they're lipophilic. Because they're lipophilic, they're difficult to excrete. So what happens is that they're broken down in the liver into inactive components. We call them metabolites. And these metabolites are all eliminated with urine. Not all of the drug is eliminated and then excreted. So some of the active compound of the drug is eliminated with the kidneys as well. So that means that everything that you put into the horse gets into the environment at some point in time. So on my search for an answer to what it does to the environment, um, I I did find a really nice article from from, uh, just two years ago that considers them as emerging emerging contaminants to the environment. Basically, that they have the potential. They're they're quite uh, careful in their wording in that... um, um, in, in the journal article, uh, but so they might have an effect on bio, on, on diversity, biomass composition, uh, a variety of biochemical reactions, um, but they also um, talk about inhibition of the presence of indigenous species and altering of key ecolo- ecological processes. At the same time, they say that they're not quite sure where and how to measure what's in the soil and what the effects on the soil are. Um, so there's, there, there's a lot of uncertainty. Um, but I think we, we, we can assume that it, that it does have an effect on the environment. Yeah. I mean, that's really helpful. We'll definitely link to that article in the show notes as well. Um, another, uh, I think, component of this that I think a lot of our listeners are probably conscious and, and maybe a little concerned about would be like uh, NSAID contamination. So, you know, you have a horse that had NSAIDs in their system urinate in a stall and then another horse that didn't have NSAIDs in their system come into that stall and, you know, roll in the in the wet shavings. But it sounds like based on your, uh, on what you you explained about the way that horses metabolize NSAIDs, that that particular scenario wouldn't be really a con- contamination concern. I, I wouldn't say so. Um, <laughs> and I'm, I'm going to be a little bit careful in, in uh, how, I, how I phrase my answer. So I would be concerned about contamination when, when you know, when, you, when you've just given uh, one horse, uh, but or benamide, some kind of paste orally, and it, and you leave, you know, the horse spits out half of it. We've all seen that happen, right? Sure, sure. Um, or some of it, some of it is left in the uh, in the in, in the in the feeding trough, or you know, there's a little bit on the side of the feeding trough. That contamination definitely can cause to to a positive uh, doping test. It depends on the NSAID. Um, how much of it is eliminated with urine without being metabolized, so as the active compound. But then still, if the horse rolls in the, in the urine, it means that the, that the NZ needs to be absorbed through the skin. Um, that doesn't happen very rapidly and not to a high extent. So, you know, they'll have to sniff... I, 
I was almost going to say that they, they'll have to drink part of the urine, which I'm quite sure that they're not going to do to get high enough concentrations in their blood just from, from being in contact with urine. Sure. So, so I think that that risk is, is, um, is very small. However, if we talk about diclofenac as a, as a local um, NSAID, if you rub that on the skin of the horse, it does get absorbed and it does get into the bloodstream and it does get into the urine. So you will test positive on a, on a doping test. So, um, you know, it works really well uh, in my mother with arthritis when I put a little bit on, there, on her knee. Um, it will also work on your horse with arthritis when you rub it on the knee, but it will also lead to a positive doping test if you, if you decide to compete. Yeah. That's a, a really important point, especially if you have um, a human interacting with the horses who has applied it to their own skin. So really, really good side point. there. Well, that carryover, I think, is, uh, it, again, is quite ne negligible. Sure. Um, the idea of the formulation of, uh, of those NZs uh, for local distribution are targeted to get into the skin as quickly as possible and get to the to the inflamed tissue uh, relatively quickly. I assume that if you put it on your knee because it hurts or on your shoulder or wherever, uh, that you wash your hands before you, um, uh, before you get on your horse or before you groom it. Um, and if you do that, then I think that you minimize the risk quite considerably. I mean, if we've learned nothing else during these last couple of years of pandemic, I hope everybody's learned how to properly wash their hands. The last question we'll finish off with Arno, and, it, and it's a question that we ask all of our guests. It's, it's a little bit of a, a pivot here, but if you could talk directly to a horse and educate them, what are a few things or what is one thing that you'd want to say to them and have them understand about maybe sports training and maybe about NSAIDs? And so what do you wish all horses knew with regards to NSAIDs? Oh my goodness. <laughs> um, well, I, be sensible about it, right? And what does that mean? Well, for me, you know, after, after um, I played field hockey back in the days, um, you know, after a strenuous exercise, uh, after a game where I didn't stretch well enough, that those muscle aches were normal. So I wouldn't take NSAIDs for those muscle aches because I knew it would last two days and then I was fine again. If I have a headache, I wait it out a little bit. And if it's too much for me to function properly, then I take an NSAID. You know, I hope that um, if the horse were to, to the, were, would be able to decide uh, for themselves when to take it and when not to take it, um, you know, be, be reasonable about it. Um, if it hurts, then question yourself, how long does it take to, for it to go away? Um, two days, too much, too much pain, too much. So if it takes too long, use an NSAID. If it's too much pain, use an NSAID. But for the typical things that are the result of a particular uh, exercise, you don't necessarily need to take NSAIDs. It's perfectly okay to feel a little bit, um, you know, a muscle ache here and a muscle ache there, particularly the, 
exercise the day after when that's the first day that's uncomfortable is really helpful in mitigating the pain. Um, the second day is always worse. Um, so a little bit of exercise there as well helps to, to overcome those muscle aches. At the same time, it, it builds up uh, the strength in your muscles as well. Sort of a layman's explanation of, uh, but anyways. <laughs> no, that's awesome. I mean, the, the you know the same. I think the same lesson applies to humans. I I think uh, you know everybody has different thresholds of pain, and and same for the horses. But um, not all pain is necessarily bad. No, yeah, I think that that's a great conclusion. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I've literally, I I can't even like get into how much I've learned and how many more questions I'm probably going to have once I digest this, but, um, we really appreciate you, you know, breaking this down for, for all of us to understand and giving us a lot to think about in terms of, of how we, um, use NSAIDs to treat all different things with our horses. So thank you so much. Well, that was one fantastic conversation. I learned so much from Arno and um, his explanation of how NSAIDs work and what that means for, you know, when and how to use them. I I just think it's so important for um, us to learn this kind of information when we can. You know, equestrians are expected to take you know, such high level veterinary care of horses on a regular basis without necessarily having formal training. Um, and so that means that equestrians end up collecting a lot of information, um, based on their interactions with veterinarians and on their experience. But one thing that Arno mentioned that I think is so important is also having a good relationship with your veterinarian so that you can have these conversations, um, feel comfortable asking questions about these kinds of things. Like, tell me how this works, help me understand your point of view, that kind of thing. Um, so I just think it's so important that we all, you know, work to build those relationships with our vets and our farriers and have those important conversations because at the end of the day, like if we're, you know, if we, if we stop learning, we stop growing and, and there's just so much to learn. Yeah, I completely agree. Such a such a great episode. Um, so appreciative, Arno, for taking the time to discuss that. And it's it really is such a complex topic, right? Like there, there's a lot going on. Um, it takes so much time to develop these drugs to figure out how they're working, and and it still isn't super crystal clear, right? There's a lot of kind of muddy grayishness with when to use them and when not to use them. But I think he did a really, really good job of giving the high level picture and uh, giving some tips for everyone who uh, was listening to the episode. Um, and I think as well, really important to think about when you're using the NSAIDs to make sure that there's a definite indication for when you start them. So know why you're starting, know what you're giving with them. Uh, so like how long is that uh, going to be in terms of the dosage and the timing? And then also to have an exit strategy. Cause I, I think we don't really want the horses living on uh, NSAIDs in most cases. Um, and I think it comes back to just knowing that every horse is an individual, as Arno said, uh, they'll respond differently. Uh, each horse will have its own uh, idiosyncrasies and, and different um, responses to NSAIDs. 
And so just being very careful to not just get a program from a veterinarian once on EdSet use and apply that to every horse, but instead to constantly talk to your veterinarian to have them evaluate the horse to know, okay, which drug may be best for which horse in which situation and to constantly be up, updating that and adapting that throughout a horse's life. Um, but yeah, just really interesting information. And I think stuff that we all need to really think about whenever we go down the NSAID road. Yeah. And as I mentioned, this is just the first in our series, our, our series of episodes about NSAIDs. We're going to be bringing you some more episodes with some additional perspectives um, so that we can really get a comprehensive understanding of um, NSAIDs and, and appropriate use and all of that. Um, the other thing is if there's other um, types of drugs and treatments that you want to know more about, um, make sure to reach out to us. Um, you can leave uh, comments uh, or DM us on Instagram at sport horse series, um, or on our Facebook page, also sport horse series. So, um, we really look forward to hearing from you guys about what else you want to hear. Uh, and with that, that's a wrap for today's episode. As always, you can find the links to today's guest and the show notes at www.sporthorsepodcast.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Sport Horse Series, as well as um, subscribing wherever you get your podcasts so that all of our new episodes uh, show up in your um, podcast app right away. and You don't miss an episode. As always, you can also find all 20 plus shows of the Horse Radio Network with and take them with you wherever you go using our free app for iPhone and Android. Just go to your app store and search Horse Radio Network. And here's to keeping your sport horse happy and healthy. Mm-hmm.